0: From Movendi International, I am Mike Dunbier. This is the Alcohol Issues Podcast. This podcast was recorded on Tuesday, February 16th, 2021. Welcome to the 12th episode of the Alcohol Issues Podcast. This week, we focus on the topic of children from families with alcohol problems, as it is the Global Awareness Week for this specific and too often overlooked alcohol issue. For this special edition of the Alcohol Issues podcast, we welcome Dr. Sheila Gilleny. Sheila is the chief executive of Alcohol Action Ireland. She is a tremendously impressive person and leader. Sheila holds a PhD in astrophysics. She has led a range of not for profit organizations in science, education, public engagement, and social enterprise. And now, She is at Alcohol Action Ireland that has been the key civil society advocate for support of the Public Health Alcohol Act that was passed into law in October 2018. With Sheila, I discuss Alcohol Action Ireland's work to raise awareness and improve the conditions of children growing up in families with alcohol problems. Alcohol Action Ireland, for example, is running a much needed initiative called Silent Voices that works to end the silence around the impact of family alcohol problems on children. Sheila shares deep insights into the extent of the problem in Ireland and we also talk about what life is like for vulnerable children. I learn more about the Silent Voices initiative, how it actually works and what they've been up to since its inception two years ago. While the situation of children from families with alcohol problems is really dire and there still remains such a tremendous silence around the topic, there is a set of big and small solutions available. Sheila talks with me about those solutions and shares her vision of how the rights of vulnerable children can be much better protected through really concrete alcohol policy and other kinds of interventions. I really enjoyed this conversation with Sheila and as you will hear, we had an honest and personal conversation about a topic that is really close to our hearts. Before we jump into the conversation, however, I really want to apologize for the sound quality today we tried our best but as we were recording we experienced internet connection problems that have affected the audio quality unfortunately so i want to apologize for that and i hope that you still enjoy my conversation with sheila hi sheila Um, thank you for taking time to talk with me today
1: Hello, Mike. How are you doing? I'm very happy to be here
0: today. And for us, it's a great opportunity because this week in uh, several countries around the world is the Coa Week, and I think we'll even talk about this concept of Coa children of alcoholics or children of addicts. What we think about the term as such, but of course, the work to raise awareness of um, the predicament, the situation that children live in when when they grow up in families with alcohol problems is so important and probably um, disregarded or underestimated in in our society. So first of all, this is really great that uh, you take time and and talk with me about this topic today, because in Ireland, you are doing such an important work, uh, raising awareness of this um, issue. So I wanted to start, Sheila, by asking you, can you describe from the Irish perspective what is the problem when it comes to children from families with alcohol problems how big is it why do you address it in in ireland so there
1: is a significant problem in ireland and that's no surprise because there is a significant problem in ireland with high levels of consumption of alcohol so the higher the level of consumption in any given country the greater the amount of harms you're going to see and whether that's harms to the individual through their own health or through, you know, help harm to others uh, on the street, or, or, or you know, road traffic accidents, things like that. But what we what we really are focusing on here is the specific harm to children who grow up in homes where there is a problem with with alcohol. We estimate that there's something like about two hundred thousand children in Ireland uh, who are living in this situation, and we would say there's probably about four hundred thousand adults who have grown up. Uh, in, in, in homes that have been impacted by, by alcohol so it's a very significant problem but it's a very hidden problem which sometimes this is one of these things that just puzzles me bamboozles me because I mean pretty much everybody accepts Ireland is well known to have a problem around alcohol we know that we're drinking at levels uh, far in excess we, we, we would estimate here that about 40 percent and we're drinking at, at, at um, above our own Low risk drinking guidelines at a level about 40% above those, those low risk uh, guidelines. So it's not surprising there is a problem, and people will talk about, say, public disorder, or you know, they'll talk about those sorts of harms, and they will acknowledge that you know, you know, problems of um, accessing hospitals and things like that. But this particular problem about children and the impacts there remains very hidden, and I think partly there is there's the private sphere, there's in the, the literally in the home. There is often uh, a feeling of don't talk about it, don't mention it, don't shame, you know, don't take the shame that what they would see as a family shame to bring it out. And people can kind of understand that. But there is, it it actually goes so much wider than that that collectively society finds this extremely uncomfortable to to deal with. Um, And what our particular initiative, um, which is called Silent Voices, seeks to do is to raise awareness uh, of this particular situation and to try and put forward policy solutions that could start to address some of the issues that arise for those children and indeed for the adult children as well.
0: Yeah, thanks, Sheila. And I think you have touched upon a number of things that I would like to go a little bit more deeply into. So 200,000 children right now. Um, and i think on the eu level we count or the european commission calculates it's uh, up to 9 million so i think that would be around 2 million in germany i think 2 million in poland and maybe even around uh, 2 million in the uk i think here in sweden we also speak about i think 300 400 thousand children and in ireland uh, 200 thousand and i'm just rattling off these numbers, because I feel like these 9 million that have been an established number in the EU, that seems to be an underestimation. So how is it in Ireland? How, how certain are you of this 200,000 figure? What is it that you know about the wider EU context when it comes to children living in these conditions?
1: Well, our, our figure comes from and there there have been a number of different studies, you know, tried to, to look at this. And uh, we would be basing this on a study from a couple of years back ago, uh on a harm to others uh, study, very very useful study. And one of the things that would have emerged from the studies was that one in six children were being impacted in, in this way. So and that would have been based on surveys of people and talking about, you know, the, their level. So it's it's a population-wide survey, but it's it's representative. Um I would say it could well be an underestimate. I really, really would not be surprised to think that it would be much more than that because sometimes even you know, being able to understand the levels of different harm that can be out there. So not every family who is impacted by alcohol, the problem isn't necessarily the person who is drinking is drinking in a dependent way. That's a small cohort. It's a very significant cohort. There's a lot of damage, a lot of harm that, that is there, but there's also harm simply from the broader population of people who who drink in a in a harmful way, not necessarily a dependent way, but definitely in a harmful way. And you know, nearly around about half of um Ireland's drinkers would be drinking in this harmful way. So the harm that can accrue then to children, there is a big range. Um, but I think the significant point is the harms are happening to children, um, often at very uh, I suppose, very important stages in their development. So sometimes it can be that the parent, with all the love and all the best will in the world, is maybe just simply not able to be there for the child. And that has implications. It may be that actually what the child is seeing is um, verbal abuse, perhaps, between parents. It may be that the abuse is directed specifically towards the child, but simply being witness to you know, that atmosphere between yeah. parents is a harm in it in itself, and then it escalates. It goes all the way up, um, you, you know, and direct violence to to children. And and unfortunately, alcohol as a as a adverse childhood experience or you know, problem parental alcohol use as an adverse childhood experience is is in Ireland. We would say a gateway to many other of these ACEs that are out, out there as as well. So. Um, you know, measuring that, that harm, measuring the level of it isn't easy, but we would certainly say that, the two, that there is at least 200,000 children and probably more.
0: And now you said, I think it's also very, uh, very useful to put this 200,000 number into another kind of figure, this one in six. And that sounds to me like there are at least several children in each school class in Ireland. Um, that are affected by this, because I want to talk a little bit more about this. How come that this is such a pervasive problem? There are 400,000 adults um, who have experienced this. Some of them might be political leaders. Some of them might be business leaders, uh, civil society leaders. Still, it's remaining hidden. And if you look at it, one in six children, that is, you know, uh, a few children in a, in the football team, a few children in the school class. Why? What do you think? Why don't we identify them? Why do can they remain hidden?
1: Oh, uh, you know, such a good question, and um, and and you're so right because I have I have gone and you know we've been speaking to other organisations, or sometimes you might be talking to people in schools or in educational circles, and almost invariably somebody says to you at the end of the meeting. I was one of those children you know it, it's actually i've been quite taken aback myself even though you would know statistically yes that's likely to happen but it i i don't know whether it is that um you know for adults it is a painful thing to go back and look at it or a feeling of you know well i have to leave it back there and it's you know it, it, it can be difficult i think there is growing awareness i I, w- I will definitely say that and i think that the the movement around the aces has definitely helped on this because that you know it has that that wider sphere and people are starting to recognize that And it's actually something that we would emphasize a lot in our work that we would want to see uh, schools in particular um you know being the the other place where children spend so much of their time if they're not at home the other big places is, is school so we really want that schools be a safe place for children and really for that to happen schools need to be to be understanding of some of the issues that, that arise. Actually, I think that we've been working on um, over the last few months is to introduce uh, kind of like a, an early warning system, if, if you like. Um, there's a thing that operates in the UK, it's called Operation Compass, and it's a, a, um, a, it's, it's, it's a program whereby if police attend a family home the following day, they inform the schools if there's a child in the household. They inform the schools that that child was, you know, was witness to like a, a a disturbance, you know, and that means that when the child goes into school that day, that they're met with understanding with kindness. So maybe they're going in and they haven't their homework done, or their uniform's astray, or they didn't get breakfast, or whatever you know it is. That there is some level of immediate intervention for children. And that's actually something we've been working on quite a bit here to try and see if we can get something similar there. It, because I think those early intervention things do make a difference. Um, you know, that, that a child doesn't go in and be met with more, you know, getting into a row and hostility and things like that. And yeah. certainly, we we're very conscious that over the time of COVID, um, that. So much of the supports that children would normally get through, say, their football team or the drama group that they might be a part of, or school, you know, the other sources of, you know, just that extra bit of support that that, that children will, will get through those things. They have been cut off from an awful lot of that, and, and right now are cut off from school uh, here in Ireland. So we, we would say it's more important than ever that we actually try to get those early, early systems, early prevention systems in, in place.
0: And when it comes to um, really this interaction of uh, homes, schools, and the, the problems that children are exposed to, can you just uh, explain it a little bit more? I think you, you had also this uh, very insightful list of what the issues can be. So just the lack of parental presence, uh, this kind of uh, witnessing of what children are going through is, I th- I think, is kind of uh, support. Um, but then everything from witnessing uh, that children witness abuse are uh, victims themselves. And what is it that, you know, you mentioned that there is this kind of gateway um, path uh, from being exposed to adverse childhood experiences what is it? Can you quantify this uh, in the Irish context? Uh, how big is the risk that children become uh, develop alcohol problems themselves or other mental health problems? Um, if if you could talk about this a little bit more,
1: surely indeed. Um, we we don't have specific information for Ireland about, you know, the the, the development, but we, we certainly know from the NACOA uh, work that has been done, um, that actually children who have been exposed to this particular set of unfortunately, that they are more likely um, to experience some difficulties, some mental health difficulties, maybe um, eating disorders or something, I remember being highlighted in that uh, study, um, and, you know, more likely unfortunately to um to have alcohol dependency as, as a thing that, that would, would arise and say we don't have figures for that here in ireland but we were just going with the the macoa the survey that, that was carried out i think about 10 years uh, ago around that um certainly and, and this is part of what i keep going back to the hidden nature of this problem mm-hmm. we don't have that that data but we would certainly see um, that, the, the, the intergenerational um, element uh, certainly arises. One of the things within Silent Voices that we have done is that we've been gathering stories from people who have grown up in the situation. And uh, we would have, the, those stories are on our website. And one of the things that we would have done is to analyze the, the stories and try to, you know, extract out of the themes and intergenerational problems that so you'd have. You know, a, a person talk about growing up with the problem in the home. And now that person also having experienced, you know, a dependency problem. Um, now, there's hope that many of the stories also give us hope as well, where you see people actually in their own therapy or in their own treatment, actually getting that fuller understanding of, I suppose, the impact of growing up in the home. One of the things that we would talk about quite a bit is the, um, in a home where this is an issue the uncertainty of what you're dealing with is very difficult that um you have all this love and the love is there I, I really I do know that uh with with for a parent and with a parent but alongside that you're not sure which parent is going to be there when you come in from school you know is it the loving concerned parent or is it the other parent is the parent who's absent is it the parent who's maybe very frightening um you know there's a reliability thing know will the parent turn up for the football match will they turn up to get you to school in time will they be there so that constant uncertainty is very very difficult and i think that's part of the problem that you know that when at those very early stages to be going up with that is the thing that leads into you know later on you know difficulties problems with relationships and you know problems with particular health issues and um I suppose what what we want to do is to keep raising this, and so that it that you know where where people maybe at different times, I suppose different issues might arise. We were just talking about this yesterday. That sometimes you know leaving home, perhaps going into a job for the first time, going into third level to college, um, maybe first relationships, having a child for the first time. Oftentimes these are kind of breakout moments, if you like, when suddenly oh my god, you know like, uh, things come to the fore and they, they jump out. So we're very keen to to try and raise awareness. Say, for example, with student counsellors in, in third level, that this might be something. So that maybe somebody goes and they present with with an issue, anxiety, perhaps being the presenting issue. That what we're very keen is that you know counsellors and therapists who might be working there would ask those questions, you know, about well, what was the background, and you know, and and help schools maybe just tease out where some of these things come from.
0: Yeah, this is so interesting. As you explain it now, it sounds to me like uh, workplaces um, uh, need to be aware and need to have something in place. Uh, As you are saying, I think it's uh, very interesting to think about these breakout moments, as you call it, where um, certain trauma that that has been hidden um, just to avoid it and just not to deal with it every day it can then come to the forefront and and can make it difficult for people. So uh, third-level schools, as you call it, or workplaces or um, other uh, parts of society. My last question for discussing a little bit of the problem, and you have already hinted on where some solutions are, so I'm excited to talk about this, Sheila. But my last question is, you have also mentioned, of course, we are in the coronavirus pandemic. And we know overall that, at least for uh, some parts of the alcohol-consuming population, consumption is rising, so mental health problems might be rising. At the same time, all societies, I think, face difficulties in providing mental health services. Um, So that is a very difficult combination of issues and What is it in this context you see in Ireland um, when it comes to children from families with alcohol problems? Is their support uh, decreasing now? They don't have anything, as you said, since they can't go to the football or other leisure time activities. What is the coronavirus crisis doing um, in this uh, context?
1: Well, we have been, really since it started, we have been, very focused uh, on this as that yes because we can see the huge increase in uh, home drinking that has happened where you just saw month after month actually sales um in, in off license and supermarkets increasing and remember also that that you know these alcohol prices are much cheaper than would be in say bars and restaurants so you know there was actually very little overall decrease in the amount of alcohol uh, and the litres of alcohol, let's say, that have been sold in Ireland, be dropped by just under 5% um, in, in, in the course of, of the last year. So, we know, therefore, that there's actually been a massive increase in the amount of home drinking that, that has actually gone on. And we would have seen from some surveys um, from the Central Statistics Office here that actually the level of increase, because not everybody increased, but we did see that the households that increased the most were actually households with, with children. So, that was. A particular concern for us, and as I say, that um, you know, children are now cut off from those other uh, external supports. You know that that, that may have been in, in action, and even very difficult for other family members outside. Uh, right now, nobody's meeting anybody in their own household, or even in gardens. You know, it's it's, uh, yeah. it's very very restrictive. Um, we actually we we're, we're ran a campaign over the last few months: um, one kind word and one kind action where we were really appealing for people to look out because do you know something, even though I talk about this being a hidden problem, people do know about it. You know, when you raise it, you know, people are able to say, yeah, actually now to say about it, I had a cousin or there was a family or there was somebody down the road and they know that there's something there. So we've been appealing for people to literally reach out to uh, a young person, phone them, ask them how they are, make sure they have credit on their own phone that they can ring. Maybe give them, you know, if they have a spare laptop, you know, give them that there, it's just to make sure that they have a means of being able to keep in contact with somebody else. Yeah. And it might seem like a very small thing, but, you know, even to have that bit of support, acknowledgement that, you know, things are not not great, can make a difference. So that that is something that we've been doing. Now, alongside that, on the, the broader policy thing, we've been really pushing or releasing, really and we've been doing this with other organisations. As well about the need for um greater access to to services um, mm-hmm. and um, psychology services I think there is a, a terrible deficit here in Ireland anyway there are long waiting lists uh for both child and adult uh services so it is uh, you know the the only and not say this is a good thing but the the, the whole Covid um impact has actually shown a, a spotlight on mental health services and mm-hmm. there is Something of an awareness uh, growing, you know, that this we, we need to have improvements there. And maybe there'll be some kind of long term, um, you know, improvement that will come out because people are seeing that there are significant difficulties. There are already significant difficulties, and the whole wow. COVID is, is simply adding to it.
0: I really think this uh, one kind word and one kind action is beautiful. I think we should never underestimate how much of a difference it can make if, if a young person, actually any person, but a young person has dark thoughts, feels alone, takes responsibility for what the parents are doing, blames themselves, and then there's another person showing up and uh, indicating that they are present and they want to listen and th- that they care. I think, I mean, I know this from our own work that this can make uh, such a big difference I mean not to be dramatic but in this situation can also be a matter of life and death so I think this is uh, it's a very beautiful initiative
1: yeah we, we we do feel it is it is important and as I say it's a twin track thing of trying as well to have the the broader thing of more more supports. and it has been interesting because you know as I say other organizations um There'd be a thing here. Children's Rights uh, Alliance, uh, which is a, an alliance of various children's organisations, have also been saying similar things about, you know, say schools about access to to uh, better services uh, all round. And that's where I think it is so powerful when you have people coming at, you know, a, a variety a variety of organisations coming at at uh, you know problems for children, and and we've tried to lend that voice for, to, to raise the issue around alcohol.
0: So I wanted to ask you and I I like this um, comment you made earlier that from working in the communities, you have people coming up who say, quote, I was one of those children and that this is actually rather striking. And because we talked a little bit about why this is remaining hidden. And I want to get to the conversation, what you do with the silent voices campaign, why it's called silent voices. So I I want to share with you one reflection that I have made in working over the years uh, with this topic as well. And that is my mom actually is a child of um, a father uh, with alcohol problems. And um, I started working in alcohol prevention um, many years ago, it's now 14 years ago. So I was a student, still a young person, so to say. And when I started doing that work, we never talked about my mom's own history. So I never met my grandpa. I knew that he died of liver cirrhosis, but that's all my mom kept, my brother and myself shielded from from this, so to say. And only when I started telling about, like you were saying now, Sheila, that we are working with children and they can be, you know, awesome people, really smart, and then the next moment they, they can have these kind of problems that, that just break out once we start discussing all these issues. Then my mom started thinking um, about her own experience in a completely different way, I would say. I don't think she ever had the the concept that she was a child of a father with alcohol problems. I think it's something that she Dealt with that, she and her siblings survived, so to say, they made the best out of it based on everything you also have explained. And for me, that has become so interesting that I went into alcohol prevention, not at all because of my own family history, but that has actually then allowed me and my mom to bond over this. Like she has a completely different understanding of what it is that we are working on. And so I wanted to share this with you because my sense is also there is this lack of awareness and even this kind of lack of uh, having the right vocabulary and the 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 right concepts that even can allow people to think yeah this is i grew up as a child of a, uh, in a in a family with alcohol problems like when people have cancer they know that they are a cancer patient and for these issues it's not like that so do you feel there is anything to it like the, the public discourse, the vocabulary um, that, that we need to sharpen? Like you have, you, you've expressed it so
1: well um just what, what you're saying there, because um I suppose a child goes up and that is their norm, you know, and so you even whether when when you can understand that there are difficulties, you still see it as your norm. Um and you know. For something like uh, you know somebody who's exposed to uh, like a traffic accident or cancer but cancer comes in from the outside comes in it didn't didn't start in in and move out it it, it came in and it's recognized be, be able to to see it as an external thing that that, that has happened if you like you know to, to you Um, whereas the alcohol is from within so you grow up with it so in itself it is hard to have the language uh, simply to be able to say this is there even though people do have a sense of feeling different from other families if they're in, in another household and you know sort of seeing things being different you know they they, they will have that understanding of course that there, that there are differences but finding language is exceptionally difficult i know even in our work um even like a term a koa for example in itself has its own burdens because it's and we were just talking about this yesterday and and the group of have it it's defining the person in terms of the parent the you know the parent with the problem as opposed to the individual who's now living and doing their their own life um so i i find ourselves we're constantly struggling to find the right language to express a problem that we know is there we don't want to say that this is the you know this is the entirety of anyone's life, um in, in, even in how they respond or how they're growing up. It's an element um and it's not the entirety, but it's you know how how to express that without either yeah. trivializing the thing or saying that it's the thing is it's exceptionally difficult. Um I really really do get that. And also because and I go back to this that as well, that not everybody who's experiencing alcohol in the home has a problem it's not necessarily because of a dependency problem in that family, you know? Um, So uh, I'm very conscious of the the level of harm in Ireland from alcohol. Actually, the bulk of the harm comes from the bulk of the population who are drinking as opposed to the small number. Now, there's obviously huge harm uh, in that small number of dependent drinkers, but there is this massive problem that's also there. And I think that also adds to the difficulties because sometimes when you, you start to mention it people say well you can feel you know like you know <laughs> the the wider population but i'm not a dependent drinker and, and they're not yeah. you know and, yeah. and, and there is that feeling of well alcohol is a problem it's over there it's not me it's over there <laughs> and therefore i do want to be looking or thinking about that but certainly finding the language is is a challenge and the the terms that we are using here are silent voices um uh, the, the founders, our founding voices as we call them. So this, um, this particular initiative was only launched uh, about two years ago, although it wasn't in, in Genesis before that. And our three founding voices, you know, are people who grew, grew up um, in, in this situation. And uh, the, the term silent voices very much spoke to this difficulty of, mm. um, you know, voices, people not being heard, or indeed maybe finding it difficult to find the words to say what is the problem.
0: So I think this is interesting because we also think about it like that, that we don't want to, like you are saying, Sheila, trivialize the problem. We don't want to stigmatize neither the children nor the parents, actually. Yes, yes. We also don't want to disempower neither the children nor the parents right so you put a label you feel like like you are saying this is only this is your whole identity this is what you will be forever but we also need to describe the problem accurately and there needs to be a conversation since this is as you have said earlier a big big problem in in society present in almost every school class and so this is really then to me it sounds like what you are saying is that we the, the overall conversation about what alcohol harm is like in, in a society uh, like Ireland or in Germany, that has to change, has to become a little bit more informed by the evidence. And um, I think as this changes, also the different aspects of alcohol harm, like children from families with alcohol problems uh, are hopefully improving. Um, and so it's interesting to see how you navigate this with silent voices, and now you said it's an initiative. Is it fair to call it a campaign, or do you make a difference there? And what is it you want to achieve?
1: So a- Alcohol Action in Ireland has been in, in operation since two thousand and three, and I will say that you know even going back at different times, that the, there has been a focus on this specific harm to, to children. The, the silent voices initiative, as I say, came about through three individuals coming together, and you know. Working then with uh, Alcohol Action Ireland, so we call it an initiative. It is a campaign. It's uh, suppose so there are different words to describe it. We have a we have a manifesto of um, or sort of a set of strategic actions that that we feel are important things that 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 we're strongly hoping to. To have uh, introduced, so the, I suppose the first and foremost is we do see awareness of the issue as, as being a, a big deal. We would very much want to see a whole of government approach to the problem, because when you're talking about children, they they can, you know, there's schools, there's social workers that might be there, but there's health policy. There's different places where children come in into play, and you know we need we need to have. The services that 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 those children are accessing need to be aware of, of what's going on, and they need to be joined up. At that at that that's sort a of thing. You know, just as as one thing, for example, um, you know, if somebody do, is getting treatment for uh, alcohol problems, that we would say that the child needs to have their own treatment in their own right, not just as an adjunct of the person who's getting treatment, but they need yeah. to have this specific support, regardless of whether. The parent does actually go into treatment or not, those children need, need to have their, their specific things. So, you know, some things like that. Um, I, I mentioned earlier, you know, about the need for better um, psychological services, both for children and for, for adults. Um, we know that there's a big deficit anyway in Ireland in this regard. So, that's, that's one of the things. But we also need more training for the therapists um, who would be working in this area. We actually d- did an event. Um, uh, a couple of months back ago, with two of the professional bodies, um, Addiction Councils of Ireland and uh, the Irish Association for Counselling and uh, Psychotherapy, had a big event there, and there was 800 uh, therapists attending, um, where we we did raise this issue around yeah. um, what what's needed, um, and we do see that there needs to be, you know, specific ongoing training and support for therapists who would who would work in this in this area. Yeah. Um, you know, we're we're very keen, in fact, that we one of the things we talk about is the need to map out services uh that, that are there and what are the improvements. So as I say, these are all these are policy kind of things, but they stem from understanding the scale of the problem. Um I suppose in an ideal world, gosh, I, I would love to have a big nationwide campaign you know a government sponsored thing you know that would would raise this and something in the same way that you know you will have campaigns around drink driving you know for for example but just to, to illustrate the level of harm that could come from it and I understand as you say this is a difficult problem you don't want to stigmatize um, the the parent or the child but at the same time we can't ignore it Mm-hmm. you know and sometimes simply raising the question can lead to people to rethink the way that they might be drinking because it might not really have occurred and particularly I would say you know early stages with that that kind of thing of people simply not being able to be there able to be present that, you know maybe when you get kind of an awareness maybe it just never may on, to me that that is a thing but you know children do see it there, there was a, a great campaign in um, in Scotland uh alcohol um, focused did with the children's parliament in the UK and yeah. uh, basically sort of um, uh, and they produced a great video from it but basically their, their research was uh, children kind of voicing what they would see as an alcohol a childhood free of alcohol an alcohol free childhood and talk about out of the mouth of babes and you know they talk about um, you know being at a party um, and commenting on a parent being you know drunk or, or whatever at that stage or tipsy or whatever other you know word we want to use um, but they notice it and they do see yeah. it and I, I i was very very struck actually by those children know you know and that's not even saying that there's that you know falling into some you know severe problem but they do see it and i thought that that would give you pause for thought um that you might simply never have thought of before because it has mm-hmm. never been mentioned to you before because we have all in this country, anyway, growing up with, um, you know, high levels of alcohol consumption at every possible opportunity, whether that's a child's birthday party, the big things here, you hold communion, you know, those, those sorts of celebrations um, to go into football matches, you know, alcohol is hugely integrated into that. So it's hard sometimes just to see it. And that's why we would say a public campaign could go some way to at least raising the question.
0: Yeah. These are very interesting points, very insightful. And I come to think of something I learned from Richard Piper at uh, Alcohol Change UK, right? They are running the Dry January campaign, and uh, he came and discussed the issue with us. And one thing we were discussing, the alcohol norm, I think that you are also describing in, in the Irish context. And Richard was saying that one thing that people realize um, through dry January is that adulthood doesn't equal bad sleep. So uh, people, as they get older, they just thought, well, bad sleep is part of what it means to be an adult. And they realize that bad sleep comes from this alcohol consumption as they cut it out for for a month. And so I think there there is this kind of Uh, thought process that kicks into gear once people get a chance to actually reflect what alcohol does in their own life, in their environment. So this is also very striking to me um, that parents can't really envision all the time how much their children are perceptive and how they are reacting to this. And as you have said, alcohol is so normalized. It's everywhere that... um, when I go back to Germany and discuss it there with my family they get almost shocked when I start pointing this out like it's children should be protected from from alcohol harm I think every parent agrees on that and then once you start pointing out so why do we have um children's drinks imitating wine and why do we do this with children all these kinds of things and uh, children, they they know the effects of alcohol before they have ever consumed it. So I think there is this kind of level of awareness um, that where parents really, I think, would benefit. And I think many would embrace this because they simply have no chance of, of knowing if we don't have this kind of conversation.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that puts it very well because, you know, no parent sets out. I genuinely, honestly believe that they do not. Nobody sets out. To hurt or to harm a um, child—that's that's not not the case at all. Um, but you know, if you're if this is the norm, if this is what you do, if you go to a children's party and the adults are drinking and the children are, like, you know, that's a very good example there of the, you know, the sparkly lemonade, like, you know, just to make it, you know, sort of seen that. And, you know, I remember back when we were small, you remember there used to be speedy cigarettes and, uh, you know, and they got banned for good yeah. reason. Like, you know, we started to see your teaching children this thing of, you know, I, I remembered myself and I and I and I, I remember very well that feeling of, I'm being this, you know, uh, cheeky little uh, grown-up person as I was smoking yeah. my, you know, um, sweet, sweet cigarette. And I, I absolutely, you want to join in. Of course, children are going to want to join in. And, you know, the, the, that, that playful nature that, that there would be of playing adults. And and adults laugh at it too because it reinforces your feelings about, well, this is the norm.
0: Yeah. I have two more questions. Um, You mentioned that you also work with the Children's Rights Alliance, if I understood it correctly. And I thought that's very interesting, Sheila. How is the children's rights community responding to this kind of problem description? Are they aware? Are they becoming a partner in Ireland? And if so, can you share some, you know, best practice of what it, what helped you convince them or bring them in Uh, because I think this is uh, still a big challenge actually to bring child rights organizations into this conversation so maybe you have found some some uh, valuable approach in Ireland.
1: I, I think we've been very fortunate, in the people—I um, will say—within the Children's Rights Alliance, uh, there was no persuasion needed. They were absolutely bored, um, on board on the first uh, conversation. I'm actually with uh, Alcohol Action for a, about uh, two years myself, and one of my first meetings was with um, Children's Rights Alliance. Tang Award is as you know there, and like I say, all she's been ever ever done for us has been. us help and support and uh, i think i think that i think that that helps us a lot too is to look at it from a children's rights perspective um so there are various things like you know from the united nations and the the the, the children's rights um uh, convention uh yeah actually a very helpful way of looking at things so you know sometimes we would use that um that the convention to make arguments around the right to an alcohol free childhood or and, and that can be expressed in different ways sometimes that's about you know exposure to marketing of, of alcohol and the yeah. of children it's in that way but in this particular thing as well of understanding that the child is it's the child's rights that are at the center but rather than looking at it you know it's the parent of the problem and i know the, the thing is there but it's actually if you turn it back to the rights of the child is a partial way of, of making uh, a case and you know certainly we've, we've been using that so the alliance is actually made up um you know of, of many different organizations so we're, we're a member of of the alliance and um, so other organizations like um, ispcc uh, society of protection of children have also been very helpful they they would um they, they run a helpline for children so even just being able to talk to them about their statistics, you know, and the number of calls that they would have coming in, where alcohol is a feature, those have been, been very useful, um, you know, just, again, for us to be able to help illustrate our our particular points that, that, that we're looking to, to make.
0: And with the Silent Voices campaign, you said you started two years ago, can you see that there is a shift, has the campaign helped with, um, you know, mainstreaming this issue in the child rights alliance or can you see an overall shift in public awareness what would you say uh, there or is it too early to tell maybe
1: yeah i think probably too early to be able to say that there is a shift um i certainly i i I do feel that when we talk to the organisations and whether that's, um, say, teachers organisations, there is there is pretty much an understanding that, yes, there is an issue. Now, So the next thing is, is to make those understandings translate into you know, specific work that, that can happen. So, you know, one thing that we're looking at at the moment is uh, around teacher education. We have. Um, Uh, We have done some work um, and inputting into CPD, like continuing professional development for teachers around this issue. But what we would really like to see is it being dealt with in initial teacher training education. And so we are contacting all of the um, uh, teacher training providers here in Ireland and you know we've 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 had some discussions very early literally just in the last few months we've been doing that and that work actually fed out of um an education paper that we had developed which in itself came from those stories that, that it mentioned on our shared voices um yeah. about being able to illustrate you know where particularly when people say what are the sorts of things that would have helped me when we asked that question and people saying things like you know they can maybe point to where school was a help or sometimes where school maybe wasn't a help, um, you know, so being able to say, because sometimes those those differences come down to an individual in the school simply having an awareness and, you know, be able to do things. But my feeling is that all schools need to have the, the awareness of, you know, that one in six child um, who's sitting in the, in the classroom and, you know, to, to do that. And that's not saying that teachers have to be social workers, but I think when you take what we'd call like a trauma-informed approach or a trauma-aware approach at the very least, um, that you you can make a difference, you can make a difference to an individual child that's there. And the more that we develop those systems and to have them in place, it'll help the the problem. The way to really reduce the problem is to reduce the overall level of alcohol consumption in the country. And that's where you come back to things like our legislation around uh, alcohol consumption, because if you can reduce that, will overall reduce a problem but we also have to address the problem that currently exists
0: yeah I think your point on teachers um, is well taken I worked in Germany for a year in a primary school um, as an assistant to one uh, child with a health condition and then of course as an assistant to the teacher there and um, I have tremendous respect for teachers most of them really they want their uh, students to do well and they actually welcome all kinds of tools that help them both understand why uh, behavior might be problematic maybe just in a in a short stretch and teachers uh, don't have a way of knowing always or they might uh, welcome understanding and then a tool for what they can do so i think mm-hmm. this is uh, I in my experience, teachers are really open to this, of course, needs to be, as you are alluding to, they, they can't become social workers. They have a lot to do already. Um, but in the context of allowing them to do a better job and, and helping kids, which is what most teachers love to do, I think this sounds like an awesome program um, or a- awesome piece of work that you guys are doing there.
1: Yeah. Do you know, it's it's funny um i think that we would sometimes say is that teachers are already dealing with the problem they just might not know that that is the problem that they're dealing with um yes so so raising the awareness and then there there are a number of you know toolkits essentially that that are being you know developed there's really good work uh, going on in america uh around um as i think the whole ace movement has led to this development as they up two because so teachers do welcome you know well here's something practical something we can do we've actually just started to do some work with one of the universities here in the North, uh, university and they um, there's a colleague there who would run uh, a master's in education and does a specific um uh, piece of work around aces and we're hoping now over the, over this coming year to help work to develop that set of resources and a website that would have say that the kind of toolkits that, that we're talking about there um and you know one step one day <laughs> each thing yeah. you know yeah. it, it adds up and maybe if you're interviewing me in two years time i'll be able to have a better benchmark or be able to say we've got to be to, to there uh, yeah
0: yeah yeah that's fantastic so for my final questions a uh, question i want to go back to what you already started talking about um, this intersection between population level alcohol consumption and then these specific alcohol related problems. And today we, of course, focused on children from families with alcohol problems. So what do you think or how much do you know about minimum unit pricing, for example, protecting children or um, alcohol policy solutions that help raise government revenue to actually invest in these uh, psychological services that you talked about, there is a big deficit. Deficit. So if you could talk about this and um, the population level measures and uh, reducing consumption and harm and, and also actually generating investment poli- uh, possibilities, for example. Yeah.
1: So um the, the- in Ireland, the, the key piece of legislation here is what's called the Public Health Alcohol Act, and that's was um, finally passed over after many years uh, back in October of 2018. Um, a key element of that legislation is a, a provision for MEP, or minimum unit pricing of, of alcohol. Unfortunately, that has not yet been commenced, which is deeply frustrating, to say the least of it. Um, we've seen it being, you know, the, the, the positive impacts in, in Scotland. For example, we can see a reduction in... Um, already, like the, the level of alcohol consumption, but also the knock-on level of reduction in hospital admissions and, and deaths. And there was also very interesting work that's come, come out from, you know, there's, it's, um, Scotland's not the only country, quite a number of countries um, we've seen in Northern Territories in Australia. There's there's a fantastic report there last year from the WHO with um, uh, former Soviet Union countries and looking at, at the impact that MEP had had, had there so we are very keen to, to see it we, there's no need for any more evidence let's just implement it let's just make it happen um but also with, within that legislation there's um it's not just mep it's, it's actually about restrictions on advertising and marketing of alcohol and uh, labeling of alcohol products uh, as well so there's there's actually it's it's very comprehensive legislation the difficulty is that um so much of that key key parts of it have not yet been commenced. Some some parts have, so there is some legislation, there's restrictions, for example, on product placement. So in supermarkets, um, alcohol products have to be separated out and there's some protective things. That that just came in before Christmas. Mm -hmm. There's some reduction on um, kind of special deals, you know, two for the price of one, uh, sales are 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 forbidden now, but what we would see is the really key things around advertising and NEP uh, have not yet uh, come into play. So the, the advertising legislation, what I would hope to do is actually to, to kind of take away the myths, so that you weren't necessarily sort of selling, you know, oh happy jolly, clappy, you know, everything wonderful with alcohol. But the the advertising should only give information as in price product, where it where it was made, what actually contains, how much it is and things like that. So functional advertising as opposed to mythological uh, advertising. Um, as to how all of that, we would hope that, that if all of that legislation came into place, the, the aim of it is, is to reduce the alcohol consumption by 20% over seven years uh, in Ireland. Um, if we saw a reduction of 20% of alcohol consumption, I think we would see a reduction in harm to children without a doubt. Uh, in that time but the key point is it has to be introduced it, ha- or it has to be
0: commenced with and, and, and enforced as, as well. So with this thank you for this explanation and, and I think the goal of a 20 percent um, alcohol reduction over seven years that is ambitious that is bigger than what uh, governments agreed to at the WHO level in 2013. So I think that's positive. Everything else you have explained about the Public Health Alcohol Act is also very positive. And then, of course, it's concerning that the key parts of the legislation have not been introduced yet. So um, we are with you in support of uh, your advocacy there to to implement this uh, change. Because then I think, like you were saying, Sheila, um, even from a child rights perspective, there is a clear case to be made then um, uh, to protect children much better. If we know what works and we have actually already agreed to implement what works, then it would make sense to actually (laughs) get going on it as well.
1: You know that that 20% reduction. If you look at the 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 original, like the plans or whatever about it, that was supposed to have been achieved by 2020. So oh. I think we've missed that target. But it is the seven years, you know, after everything has been been commenced, that should lead to it. But um, it'll just show you how long uh, all of the, the the legislation was in the pipeline. Uh, you know, many many years actually. In development. Yeah. Um, And when I look at that that figure, 20% reduction by 2020, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is a
0: brilliant point because I I mentioned it earlier and I said we don't want to over-dramatize. Alcohol harm is so big that we don't need to make it more emotional. But this week we are talking about the reality of children living and growing up in families with alcohol problems. And such a delay right, in achieving an agreed goal that has concrete repercussions. It has meaning yes. for these children. And, and I think this week um, and the work that you are doing in uh, with Silent Voices really highlights, I really like the stories that you are telling there because it really highlights what it would mean to introduce minimum unit pricing in February and not in April. Or two years ago, and not in two years' time, and and so I think th- these kinds of stories, this reality from from children, they, if anything, they should make this an urgent priority.
1: Yes, I, I absolutely agree, and as I say it's individual people's lives. You know, thinking about the legislation that started work on back in twenty thirteen, um, you know, there's thousands of children uh, have yeah. had no change to their family situation because that legislation, that good legislation that has been worked on for all those years, still not been fully implemented.
0: And so with this, like you said a while ago, um, hopefully we can have a similar conversation in one year or maybe two years' time uh, around uh, this kind of COA week. And hopefully you will be able to say they implemented the entire Public Health Alcohol Act, and we can see, <laughs> like in the case of Scotland, these kinds wow. of reductions that would benefit children. But for now, you would thank you so much. Just uh, love it. Yeah. And thank we'll, you
1: so much, Mike. It's a we'll pleasure to talk to you. I'll say it really is. You
0: know. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time and keep up the great work. It's a great inspiration, I think, for us for everybody around the world. Uh, really appreciate talking with you too. This was my conversation with Sheila during the Global Awareness Week about uh, the predicament, conditions and suffering of children from families with alcohol problems and the solutions uh, that we are all advocating for. I hope you found this conversation insightful and useful. You can find more information about Alcohol Action Ireland and their important work in the show notes. I also put a link to the Silent Voices website and Twitter account into the show notes and I really hope you'll consider checking out their important work. More background information about the impact of family alcohol problems on children, their rights and health can also be found on our website and I share the link in the show notes too. As ever, I'd love to hear and read from you. If you have feedback, questions, and suggestions, please get in touch. My email address is mike.dynbier at You can also find my contact details in the show notes. The Alcohol Issues Podcast is made by Arin Pigno, Kristina Sperkova, and Mike Dünbier. Our theme music for this episode comes from LF Music. That's it for this special edition of the Alcool Issues Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Stay well and safe and talk to you soon.